0: Episode 236, Customer Experience Advice. When building to simplicity, it has to be perfect. Today, I speak with Liliana Petrova, CEO and founder at The Petrova Experience. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking relentlessly seeking value. In this podcast, Liliana Petrova, CEO and founder at The Petrova Experience, translates her experience as Director of Customer Experience at JetBlue to the healthcare industry. Her advice is practical and designed to actually work in environments as complex and regulated and driven by safety concerns as the airline industry. And also, coincidentally, healthcare. In the past, in healthcare, some have perhaps underestimated the impact of customer experience. But it's hard to continue to do so in the face of Forrester research showing customer experience drives revenue growth by double digits compared to laggards in markets where there's competition. Actually, this growth difference is true even in some markets where there's not much competition. Why? Because when the customer experience is really bad, customers might choose to abandon the service-slash-care altogether and just not return at all, anywhere. And Gartner touting facts such as 89% of companies these days are competing on a customer experience battleground. But back to today's conversation. Somewhere in the middle of our chat, Liliana says, When building to simplicity, it has to be perfect. I loved it. This is a really simple, if you will, maxim with a lot packed into it that we spend some time unraveling. One spoiler, good customer experience makes it easy for customers, makes it simple for customers. And second, perfect means perfect from the patient's or customer's point of view, not ours. One of the parts of the conversation I loved was Liliana's dissection of just the physical space of a typical waiting room from a customer standpoint. I never thought about it before, but that desk that the front office staff usually is sequestered behind, that tall desk with the glass window, it resembles a payday loan place in a bad neighborhood. What's the subliminal message there? Liliana wrote a few articles about lobby design, among other topics, by the way, and the links are in the show notes. I met Liliana at the PharmaCX conference hosted by Panagora. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group, and my name is Stacey Richter. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Liliana. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about the conversation. You came from the airline industry most recently. So what do you think that healthcare stakeholders can learn from your experiences or from the airline industry?
1: I think there is a lot of similarities and parallels between the two industries. For one, both our customers and in uh, the healthcare industry patients come into the experience with a sense of anxiety and uncertainty. You know, we, we have this joke in the airline industry that at the moment our customers come in the airport, they, they just need help and they feel this sense of, of being lost and, and anxiety. I think that's very similar to being in a waiting room waiting to be accepted or admitted in a hospital. The other parallel that I've noticed is the complexity of the industries. They both are heavily regulated. They both have a lot of systems and data that are coming from different entities that are very hard to reconcile.
0: And I think Atul Gawande also kind of referenced that particular similarity in his um, checklist manifesto. I mean, one of the things that he talked a lot about was pilots using checklists and drew the parallel to surgeons using checklists. One of the things that you had mentioned was customer loyalty and the idea that someone who has a good customer experience is five times more likely to recommend an organization. What are some things maybe that drive that loyalty? And I know I'm asking kind of like big questions, which at some level are a little bit self-evident, but is there any insights or maybe things that would surprise someone that maybe you learned at JetBlue, which are not completely obvious or intuitive? You know, it's kind of interesting.
1: I love the question you're asking because it's funny that you say self-evident because at the same time, So few people actually do these very simple things. The industry talks a lot about the wow factors and the wow moments in creating these memorable experiences. But at the same time, very few companies are taking care of the basics. I'm a big proponent of that. If you look at what I've learned, it's really the simplicity and the seamlessness of a process or an experience that actually keeps the customers coming back. When you go and research customer insights and you ask them, hey, like, what do you like about this experience? Most of the time, it's about ease and convenience and how fast things are. And these are things that we just take for granted, but somehow we miss the boat on all of these things. Even if you look at a waiting room, let's say I'm a patient and I'm just going to the doctor, the complexity of the entrance and waiting room to just get through to see my doctor is something that can easily be solved if we just look at some self-service systems or kiosks or things that are integrated and make things easy. Just how we did it with JetBlue and the check-in experience was similar entry to the traveling journey, but we made it fast and easy and seamless and people loved it. That wasn't so complex in terms of an idea. It was extremely complex to execute but the what we solved for
0: is very intuitive. What lessons are in there? Maybe even start with a why. Why did JetBlue decide that all the other airlines, I mean the bar was pretty low, I like you know, like I think <laughs> what prompted JetBlue to say, well, we're going to do this differently.
1: It starts with the corporate strategy and what you stand for. One of the things that I keep talking about is the culture. And unfortunately, corporate culture and organizational culture as a whole is a term by itself that needs a little bit of explanation. But I realized over time that that's really the differentiator for Blue. Like you said, they invested money, effort. They built a team around this whole solution And the prompt execution of all of this was supported by the executives and by the corporate strategy of the company. JetBlue is founded on the premise that the customers matter, that they will bring humanity back in the air and back in our lives. The question of, are we going to create a better experience and better life for our customers, was not even something that was discussed. It was something that's just kind of like a core of their DNA. So then it became more about what can we do and where is the bigger problem for the customer? Where should we focus on the customer journey? It wasn't the whether we should do it. And I think that's an important distinction because executives and leaders need to take care of the doubt of the business case before they start executing. If they don't, during the execution, they will not prioritize the right things, and the execution will suffer, and then the return will suffer. The return depends on the seamless and kind of almost perfect execution, unfortunately. When you're building a simplicity, you need to be perfect.
0: You know, I think what you're saying bears a lot of weight, or, you know, I had Julie Risch from the Cleveland Clinic on, and she said basically the same thing that needs to be, you know, in the Cleveland Clinic's case, patients first is within the organization's DNA. And that matters because as they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, pretty much, right? I love that expression. And I, I loved Julie
1: and I actually one of the things that I found on the internet when I was researching for a project recently was the Cleveland Clinic Words Matter video. And I highly recommend it to your audience if they haven't watched it. It it will make you
0: tear up, but it just says it all. Let's go back to something that you said, which I I wrote down, actually, Liliana, which is that if you are building to simplicity, you have to do it perfectly. My takeaway from that is a couple of fold, but one is the simplest customer experience is something to strive for. Absolutely. Well,
1: who doesn't want something to be simple and easy and fast? No matter what we do, a good customer experience, I always say, gives Customers, the gift of time, and we all value time. If something is fast and simple, I will give you time back to do something that you value with your time versus keeping you in some bureaucratic,
0: you know, funnel or some sort of repetitious data entry world it's timely that we're having this conversation because there is also a bunch of articles that were written lately, which quantified the loss of productivity of anybody going to a doctor appointment, something like four Hmm. hours of lost time, which is effectively half a day at work. So if you add up the total number of patients that are in the healthcare system on any given day, and I think we're talking ambulatory here, and you multiply it by half a day's work, I mean, like, that's a non-trivial, Some, as they say.
1: And I think the same thing happens sometimes when you travel. If you think about it, you got to go that many hours before your flight. You have sometimes such a short flight that you spend more time being, I call it, processed in the airport (laughs) than actually experiencing the flight. And I think that's unacceptable in today's world of AI and all this amazing technology
0: that we have access to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's obviously a very similar power allow. It's probably even more stark in the healthcare industry where the average patient sees the doctor for like 15 minutes, but they're in the office for two hours or something. Yeah. Going back to your statement, when you're building for simplicity, it has to be perfect. So let's talk about the perfect now. Based on your JetBlue experience, are there any suggestions that you have beyond the technology. And I say that with a little emphasis in a way, because it has been an error that some have made in healthcare to focus on the technology and kind of forget about what we're trying to do here. Technology doesn't in and of itself solve many problems. It's how people are using the technology and what result that technology can deliver and building the whole infrastructure and experience around that technology that is the total solution, not just one aspect of it, which would be the technology. So given that, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm pretty deliberate about how I use technology when I build customer experience solutions. And one of the biggest mistakes, not just in healthcare, across the industries that I see is Going straight to the technology and saying, okay, I'm going to buy this solution and that solution is going to solve it all versus starting with the customer. Customer experience design and solutions design is by definition human centric. So you need to start with what are you solving, for whom are you solving it, and what exactly is the experience and the feeling that you want to create with this design. Then you go and you start thinking about, okay, how do I create this feeling when a person goes through this experience? Some of the answer is technology. The other half of the answer is always another human. Creating a connection is very difficult and it's not a transaction. So the technology is kind of like a tool in the toolbox that takes care of the transactions that are not bringing value, emotional value, to a connection you're building with your customer or patient so that you can free up that space for your service people to create that connection, that emotional connection that will keep that customer or patient coming back over and over again. And that is a very different way of using technology and that's when you look at technology as something that helps you create the end goal, not something
0: that's a goal in itself. Yeah. And that, as it's been said, love the problem, not the solution. And if you start being very, let's just say, loving the technology because you think it's really cool or whatnot, then you kind of lose track of the problem. And, and I really like how you articulated it. What are you solving for? Who are you solving it for? And, and what feeling are you trying to create? One of the things that you had mentioned previously is the check in process. And that is something that JetBlue selected as something to focus on. The parallel in healthcare is the waiting room. The waiting room is a very important touch point on the patient journey.
1: If you think about the emotional state from an empathy perspective, this is when a patient really doesn't know what's wrong with him or her. They really have, I hate to say it, but we don't even know how much things will cost. (laughs) There's this whole financial worry as well over our heads. Like you said, we don't know how long we're going to wait. There is this unpredictability of how long am I going to be here for? And nine out of 10 times, we have some other place to be. And on top of it, we're given a pile of papers that have very legal and heavy languaged kind of disclaimers on top of disclaimers. And we're told we have to sign these papers before we see our doctor. So there's a lot to be desired in terms of creating a new set of feelings and and experiences there. The last thing I would say about this is the setup of a waiting room. When we were redesigning the lobby in JFK, we talked a lot about the podiums and how they create this physical barrier between our frontline employees and our customers. It's hard to create this hospitality zone and this feeling of welcomeness when you have a barrier, physical barrier between the customer and the customer support or the customer service person. When I go to a doctor's office, there's a wall. It's almost like a wall. And sometimes it's even higher than me. This immediately signals kind of this distance, this transactional piece, this lack of desire to be hospitable. So there is also a physical aspect to the waiting room that I think can be
0: redesigned to to create this welcome and warm feeling for a patient. Yeah, you know that's something I had never really thought of. But generally speaking, the front desk team is sequestered behind, as you say, a very high desk. I mean, a lot of times there's a glass window, and they like slide open the window. Mm. (laughs) I mean, it's almost like a deli in a really bad part of town. Well,
1: if you think about it, it signals fear. It's almost like, are you afraid of me? I come from, um, you know, Eastern European country where we had exchange bureaus. We have this connotation. With the exchange bureaus in Eastern Europe, where these type of setups was because people were afraid that there would be some robbery. So you walk in a hospital and you're like, wow, like immediately I have that kind of feeling of, wow, this is, you know, Mm -hmm. you're afraid of me.
0: And also, as you've said, this is the patient's first impression, and first impressions certainly matter. So your thoughts are try to figure out how to, I mean, obviously, there's artificial intelligence, there's self-check-in that the airline industry has managed to use to greater or lesser effect. Then there is also just the physical space itself relative to the waiting room.
1: There is really a lot that can be done. We used to say in JetBlue that check-in should almost not exist in the future. We should be able to take care of all this transactional stuff before customers arrive at the airport. I would venture to say the same thing for the waiting room. There, all these forms and things that we give to our doctors, we probably can do this at home at our own leisure time. And if it's built seamlessly and easy in a digital format, people would do it. And then by the time they come in the waiting room, then it becomes more about having this welcome crew that says, how are you doing? Kind of similar to how we have our welcome crew in JetBlue that we, we kept saying, now we have time to ask people why you traveling today, understand the, the context a little bit more of this specific customer. So hopefully through, again, technology, some CRM systems later on we can curate some sort of experience that's more personalized same way in a waiting room if if you have taken care of all the transactional stuff early on now you can have a completely different conversation where I can actually have some sort of an intake interview that eases my anxiety then immediately I will feel more safe and taken care
0: of secure there's like a sense of security that would probably happen I think we are also making the assumption that that information will then be, let's just say, put to good use. Because, you know, another issue that is kind of rife in the healthcare industry is that there's information that's collected. so a lot of data that's collected that kind of goes into a black hole. And I think that's sensed by patients as well, that, you know, they're telling somebody something and that they know is never going to make it to the physician. I, I think there's probably some behind the scenes stuff about making sure that information collected is then actionable. If the information is collected ahead of time, then there's ample time to actually look at it as opposed to it being collected 10 minutes ago. I mean, when we were looking at
1: uh, the personalization strategy for JetBlue, it was even more intense. We were looking at real time. You know, I was trying to design systems that would take care of, of what you're doing in the airport real time and kind of offer you stuff in your app. So I know the technology is ready for these things. So I can only imagine how much you can do. If you design a CRM system that just accepts the information, collects information, let's say a couple of days before the patient shows up. There are also predictive algorithms. There's so much out there. You just need the right design that is outcome driven. You know, I always used to say, you know, you collect a piece of information. Why? If you can't answer what you're going to do with it, just don't collect it because then it's just noise.
0: Okay, so we've got the waiting room as, or what happens even actually prior to the waiting room as the first, let's just say, focus area. You just teed up another one, which is an app or or something which happens a little bit later in the, the patient journey that might actually help navigate the patient journey. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Mobile is is the future.
1: I mean, there are so many stats out there that just keep proving it over and over again. So having an app that would collect and and keep in check what we are going through and then give the ability to to the doctors to look at at who they're meeting and what their medical history is would be a very logical next step for the healthcare industry.
0: And I think some are starting to get there like for example one medical as a commonly cited example has an app and there there's others as well is there any advice that you might have relative to moving in this direction like is there any lessons that you may have learned let's just say perhaps the hard way (laughs) Well, I think it's a game back to strategy. I always say you need
1: to give incentive to people to use an app. The adoption is where usually app initiatives fall short. And it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Because people say, well, we, don't, we have low adoption. And then you're like, well, yeah, but is there any useful, amazing information and utility for your customer or patient to use the app? Or well, not yet. Well, once you build it, we're going to advertise it, and then people will come and use it. But I need to fund it after I've proven that there is adoption. Well, you can't. (laughs) It's almost kind of one of those things. You have to build it, and then they'll come. If you believe in the value you're creating, and, of course, you've done your research, so you know that what you're building is what customers value, not what you think they'll value, then you have enough information to start the investment. And once you do the investment, It's about communication. Tell
0: people what's the benefit of using the app and they will use it. Yeah, and I think what you said there bears repeating that there has to be value there. And it sounds so easy to say. And when I say value there, I mean... Clear value to whoever the user, whoever you is intended to be using the thing. <laughs> There's just app after app after app in the app store of exactly like you say, apps with low adoption rate. And every now and then I'll download one of them in my healthcare research. And it's kind of clear why. <laughs> I mean, it's going back to what we
1: talked about earlier. What problem are you solving? And is this a real problem? I think one thing with customer experience programs that is very important. And, and many, unfortunately, misses prioritizing the right things for the return on investment for the company and for the customer. It's that whole kind of theory about inside-out versus outside-in approach in customer experience design that I think is, is really foundational and unfortunately overlooked. People need to ask the end-user what they are looking for, what they value, and then build that because then they'll keep the customer. You know, it's kind of like a conversation. You ask, they tell you what they want, you build it, they reward you for it. If you think you know
0: your customer better than they know themselves, you're off of the wrong start already. And and I also think that based on experiences that I've had, what people do is, you know, someone comes up with one idea And they're like, oh, we need to do that, as opposed to I think it was Linus Pauling who said the best way to have a good idea is to have lots of ideas. And one of the things I often see is that there's this desire to sort of shortcut the process. Somebody comes up with one good idea. And instead of saying, okay, you know what, we're going to spend four hours and brainstorm this, we're going to come up with as many ideas as possible and then validate the best ones. (laughs) It's kind of like somebody comes up with something and then it's all systems that go. I wanted to add to what you were saying. The reason, for example, JetBlue
1: chose the check-in as the first focus was because of customer research. It wasn't because somebody in the executive team said, oh, check-in is important. I think it's important to spend this extra funding in the early uh, times of customer experience design and programming to, to research, to listen, and to structure the priorities and the programming in the right order.
0: Yeah, and that's something that was echoed by John Skinner from the Verde Group, like two, maybe two episodes ago. If you want to hear 30 minutes on that exact topic, anyone listening can go back and check that out. So we've mentioned the check-in process. We've mentioned having some sort of navigation or guidance or other support, which is delivered on a mobile platform, because that obviously, you know, every patient walking into any care setting probably has their phone with them. So it could be a fantastic way to have lifetime communication. What else? I think the end of the journey is another
1: touch point that is pretty important, memorable and kind of stays as last impression. That is the billing piece. I think you had another show on this topic, but I I think it's it's important to talk about that as well.
0: Yeah. And that was Devin Herrick, who I had a conversation with him about surprise billing. The, The Stark example was New Parents. I forget, there was some crazy percentage of people having a baby ended up with a surprise bill. And those people who ended up with a surprise bill, a bill of an unexpected amount that they couldn't understand, did not go back to that institution ever again.
1: Yeah, I am actually a sample size of one <laughs> in this <laughs> stat that you just covered. I will never go back. I have surprise billing. And I think it's pretty stressful. It can be solved in many ways. But even a low-hanging fruit is, just tell me what I'm paying for. Even recently, I got a bill that said uh, balance, outstanding balance. And I called the health insurance yesterday. And it turned out it's 20% of the deductible. They covered 80% for my daughter. And I just couldn't, because I was talking to you today, I just couldn't stop myself. I was like, why didn't you just say that? Why didn't you just write it in the bill instead of outstanding balance? I think the language of the billing is what really stresses people out. The codes, The why can't we just make some sort of a dictionary in the healthcare system where it says, this is the code in plain English. If you don't have a medical degree and you don't have the coding of the systems, you, you're not in the field. This is what it means in plain English. I don't think that's a lot of investment.
0: It's interesting, though, and I wonder if there's any parallels from your JetBlue experience relative to how to implement it, because it seems like something that's really easy to say. There seems to be a lot of, let's just say, vested interests from a business perspective, maybe even from a a staffing perspective that goes into keeping those bills as mysterious as possible. Does the airline industry have any learnings there? oh i had under my in in my program i had a whole initiative
1: about copywriting essentially this is copy it, it's kind of like a cross between the communications department and the marketing department if any hospital decides to do something like this the the project would be just kind of like take the unload of all of the billing language and just read through it from the lens of a customer and then rewrite it the lens of a customer that to me would be the first step and the second step would be okay now which systems is this copy coming from and let's go there and open little projects to just create this kind of language maps right so you can say code u60 equals and you replace that code with some sort of a nice sentence it's a mapping exercise that's where probably some of the funding would be but the actual rewriting of the language is not such a big endeavor. And for us, it was the check-in emails, the delay emails, if you get delayed, how we communicate. And we just did it, you know, you just read through it and then you you write it in a way that shows that you care, that you want to connect, that you want to inform, that you want to empower. I mean, these are real
0: words and real feelings. And that's sound advice, and and it sounds very practical. When you put it in in those terms, it's kind of like no one's saying change the underlying structure. Nobody's saying make the actual billing, not just the charge master, transparent. It's pretty much just like let's just incrementally improve what we're doing as our last touch point with a patient while the patient is at home and obviously deciding whether to ever return. Like if we're talking about patient loyalty, like that is a moment of truth right there, right?
1: It really is. And it is Salesforce says it's there's six to seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than to keep the one you have. So if you're looking for a return on your investment here, there it is.
0: Is there anything that maybe you might have... Cutting onto to relative to the healthcare industry and kind of the stakeholders that might be there, which you feel are preventing forward movement in stuff like this. I mean, obviously, it's harder than it appears on paper. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it, right? Do you have any thoughts about why this is clearly so tough? I think it's the complexity,
1: and and I think that's kind of where I, I drew the parallel earlier with the airline industry. I think that's why not many airlines are doing what JetBlue is doing either. It's not necessarily that people are like, oh, my God, I really don't want to do this. It's the daunting look of the complexity. You look at the system, you're like, "I can't." it's just so much, so many moving parts here. But like you said earlier, you don't have to fix everything overnight. You just start small. Ask the five whys, like, why is this not working? Oh, because of this. Okay, why is this not working? after five whites, you probably will have the whole system mapped out on paper. And then you just start building it. I remember when we were looking at what we called was the the recovery process. So let's say when you're delayed, how can I create some sort of a recovery that would make you happy as a customer? And when we started looking at the solutions, it was like really quickly, it became super complex because now you have all these permutations, you know, what if you're a business customer, you have one need. Oh, if you're, uh, you know, with a child, you have a different need. Oh, but if you're going on vacation, you have a third need. And I think what happens is pe- people just get, I don't know want to say scared, but they just get overwhelmed by all the scenarios and they end up not solving for any. Where all you have to do in this kind of moment of overwhelmness is look at the 80-20 rule and say, okay, I don't have to save everybody, but if I save some,
0: I still have created better customer experiences even if you just pick the largest cohort, find solving for something and helping even if it's 25% of the, you know, the customers or the, or, or the patients, it's better than helping nobody because you can't figure out how to help everybody. Let's take the billing, for
1: example. You know, you don't have to solve all the, the billings. But let's say you look at the bill that everybody gets, the most average one that you send out. Or if it's Something that you find out down the road and you're like, oh, my God, there are like five systems that issue bills, go and look at only one system and say, okay, which one is either the easiest to fix or which one is the one that covers the higher percentage of bills we're issuing and then map that one. And the thing about change management in general is once you do it with one piece and the customer or the patient rewards you, then others would start caring, then you have a good business case to win more people over, to get allies, to have another person in the company or in the hospital that also would be passionate about solving problems. And that's how a culture is born, going back to culture, by kind of creating that movement almost, internal movement of caring.
0: Liliana, do you just want to tell us a little bit about your new business, the Petrova Experience?
1: We are a small boutique consulting firm. We're international. What we do is exactly what we talked about. We help brands build the right cultures, design the right journeys, and use the right
0: technology to create better customer experiences and build loyalty for their brands. Liliana Petrova, it has been a pleasure to have you on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey